Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. If you're interested in growing your revenues online and you're tired of ho-hum agency work, then it might be time to check out Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Check out Single Grain at www.singlegrain.com grow to get a free resource on eight marketing campaigns that we've used to help companies grow their revenues online, including the one that drove over 1,500% return on investment. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today we have Matthew Bellows who is the CEO of Yesware which is a all-in-one sales toolkit and I'll let Matt go ahead and explain that afterwards but Matt, thanks for, thanks first of all for, for joining us uh, and uh, you know, love to hear a little more, about, little, more, little more about yourself. Great, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Yeah, so what's uh, your, your background? <laughs> yeah, let's hear a little bit about your background. My background. Yeah. Uh, professionally, I mean, I'm a startup person. I've been doing startups, both our own, you know, my own and also working for other startups for most of my career. I've worked at big companies mostly as a result of selling the startups that I've been in um, to, you know, bigger publicly traded companies. So I've done some time in the bigger company world, but... Um, I'm really best in the startup world, so I think of myself as a startup guy. Um, and mostly on the sales side, um, a little bit of marketing and a little bit of product, but mostly you know, my sort of wheelhouse is in the sales side of things, which was very much the inspiration to start Yesware. Got it. So let's talk a little bit about Yesware. You know, what does it do for people? What's, what's, let's hear the whole shebang. Well, in a nutshell, um, you know, Yesware exists to help salespeople and their companies be more successful, to grow business faster, to make more money, to close more deals, to um, achieve their, you know, salespeople's professional potential. Um, so what we really focus on is adding sales-specific features to the places you already work. So you already work in email, let's make email better. You already work in your phone, let's make your phone work better. You already work in a CRM, let's make your CRM better. Um, and with that basic approach, then we say, how can we help you um, with you know all the myriad, myriad tasks of being a salesperson? And so far, it's going so well. We have about five hundred thousand users of Yesware. Um, we've signed on some of the biggest and fastest growing companies in the in the you know startup ecosystem, and um, and I feel like we're just really getting started. Great. And so, you know, if, if I'm understanding correctly, you know, the, yes, where, I mean, it ultimately helps with efficiency and you can close more deals, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's sort of two, two things. One is help a salesperson be more effective, help them close their business. And two, uh, extract the data from their activity and share that with the rest of the organization. Share it back with the salesperson so they get better. Share it with the team, uh, your colleagues on the team so they can learn from what you do well. Share it with the manager so they have real data to help you be better. Share it with the VP of sales to understand what's happening with the deals you're working on, all automatically. 
Perfect. You know, and I think for for any organization that uses anything like Salesforce, I think you need something that you, know, you need something like Yesword to help make your life easier in general. Otherwise, it's just it's easy to I think it's easy to really get lost in, in something as as giant as like a Salesforce, right? Well, that was that was a lot of the inspiration. I mean, uh, you know, having been a salesperson, a sales manager, in my career, uh, you know, I just I got sick of walking around the floor, the sales floor, and be like, guys, update your Salesforce, update your Salesforce, and and they would be like, oh, okay, and they type all the stuff in, and they wouldn't do a very good job of it, and they mm-hmm. wouldn't, and naturally, because they're not paid to do you know data entry, they're paid to be salespeople, mm-hmm. and they're smart and hardworking and creative and salespeople. They're not data entry people. And so, you know, that was the initial pain was like, why am I having to babysit these people? Like, why am I, I feel like a, you know, I got a stick over their head, making them type stuff in. And then on the other side, it was that, uh, what they were doing wasn't helping me do my job as a VP of sales. It wasn't giving me the data I needed to run the the business and to figure out what was going on and to be able to predict what was going to happen in the future. And so both of those pain points like really crystallized for me about four or five years ago. And I was like, hey, this has got to be an opportunity. This is too big of a market and, and, and too much of a pain point for every company in the world not to actually address. So that was, I called up my friend Cashman and I said, hey man, what do you think of this? And he was like, well, I could build that. <laughs> so we got started. <laughs> All right, cool. That's that's always a fun way to start. So you, you talked about 500k users, which is really impressive. Um, are you able to share any revenue numbers with us? So we don't. We haven't released revenue like a uh, you know flat total you know uh, absolute number of revenue, but but I can share that in 2000, the end year of 2013, we grew revenue about 1300 uh, percent, wow. 13x uh, year over year. Okay. And um, 2014, although it's not going to be another 13x, uh, is looking very, very good. So nice, congratulations. So, in terms of you know, yes, I mean, starting it up, you had this new idea. You know, I always like to ask the question. You know, how many? How did you acquire your first you know thousand customers? Yeah. Well, we were um, two things. One is you know we decided to launch the company within Google Apps, the Google Apps environment. And so that is actually, Google Apps has a lot of good um, meeting places and marketplaces to discover new you know, applications. So for us, the Chrome store, we have our browser extension. So being listed in the Chrome store and getting good reviews there was really, really helpful. Then we listed in the Google Apps marketplace, which drove fewer people, but much more highly qualified people. Um, and then from the website, those are the three main channels. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first, you know, 10 or 50 or 100 were largely a result of an incubator that we were part of called Dogpatch Labs, which um, Polaris Ventures mm-hmm. sort of funded. And so li- literally just went from desk to desk saying, would you try this thing out? Nice. And that, that sort of person-to-person interaction was really very, very helpful, just getting the base of the product done. Right, hand-to-hand combat, right? You know, there, there's uh, a lot to be said for scaling and putting place, mechanisms in place to scale, but there's also a lot to be said for just face-to-face, one-on-one, how does this work, taking notes, listening, watching their facial expressions, seeing what they're actually doing as opposed to what you're telling them to do. Like, those kind of experiences sort of can't be, they're not scalable, but they, they can be so powerful. 
Agreed. And do you guys still do you know that type of user testing today? That's you know that's, a ton. Okay. A ton. Yeah. I mean, we have a team now of product managers um, who do that every single week. Got it. Okay. Cool. And in terms of you know you, you talked about Google Apps in the beginning. I mean, nowadays you have 500k users. I mean, what's one thing you guys are? What's one unique thing you guys are doing to acquire more customers? Um. I mean, honestly, I'm not sure anything that we're doing is particularly unique. Um, I think that the main vehicle we have for acquiring new customers is a great product. We, we basically ripped off Dropbox with regard to, you know, here's a great free product. Use it for free. If you really like it and you use it a lot, we're going to give you a message that says, hey, either buy it from us, use a credit card, no touch revenue, or uh, share it with your friends. And if you share it with your friend and you get them to join, then we'll give you more usage of the product. So that basic mechanism is responsible for the vast majority of our new users a day. Well, that's interesting because, you know, Dropbox is, you know, file sharing, something that everyone can use. But this is more of a sales tool. And you're telling me that uh, you know, the referral program actually works out really well. That's actually really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously a more targeted audience mm -hmm. than Dropbox. But the mechanism is the same, which is like, uh, I feel good about this product. I, I'm enjoying it. It's giving me benefit. Mm -hmm. Who else do I know that could use it? Did it send out an email? Okay, got it. All right. So let's talk a little bit. You know, we talked a little bit about starting before starting the show about uh, the rebranding process for Yesware. So can you can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's it's fresh in mind because we just sort of released the new logo and and uh, some things have not changed about Yesware. So. I don't know if, if anyone, any of your viewers have seen the site, you know, it, it's green, like green is our color. It's green. We love green. And uh, so that hasn't changed, but um, we did redo the logo um, and put that across the site and the, and the um, product. And, you know, it's fresh in my mind because we just went through it. Um, we had the same logo for four years um, from the very earliest days. In fact, Cashman and I were just searching for it yesterday to find the, the other early iterations of our logo. Our logo was basically like a scripty yesware, like someone had signed it on a dotted line. In fact, there was a dotted line. I remember it was that. Like a yesware thing. And, uh, and, you know, none of us ever like immediately loved it, but we, it was very much good enough. And as you know, like part of the startup thing is if it's good enough, ship it. Mm -hmm. You're probably a little embarrassed, but move on and tackle the next thing. And so our logo was very much like that. <laughs> so it sort of stayed that way for a long time. And um, we didn't have the resources or the skills or the energy to go through the process of redoing it. Um, redoing a logo is a pain. Um, and uh, until finally, about three months ago, maybe four months ago, uh, the marketing team started to come together. We had a designer on the team now, and we're announcing a couple big new features tomorrow, actually. And so as part of that new feature rollout, I felt like, you know, it was time. Like, we could actually take this step. And the combination of it in our industry coming together and becoming more of a thing and the combination of us going from an email-only solution to a sale, complete sales solution... Um, gave me the sort of impetus to say, all right, let's look at this logo question. Okay. And so, 
it's uh, much better now. <laughs> it's so much better. <laughs> so it's such a relief. And it's, it's not out yet, right? I haven't seen it's it. It's out. No, you can see it? It. see it. on the website. I guess I need to go take a look. Yeah, okay. It just came out. So. All right. What well, I guess you know for, for people in the audience, I mean, you know, you talked about timing. You know, we, we understand when you know the timing has to be perfect for a rebrand. But what, what's the ultimate goal behind a rebrand? Well, I feel like the um, the big issue is uh, why are you doing this? You know, what's your motivation? Are you doing this to because the marketing department's really charismatic and they need a project to work on, or is there a specific and uh, and very clear, definite reason? And for us, the reason was, hey, this market, our industry, which we've been in and sort of in some ways helping to start the last four years, has started. Like, it's happening now. Now you have uh, lots of interest, new startups every week, uh, some big funding announcements, uh, real competition, um, and we're starting to see it develop. And so as part of that, we need to think about how we're going to be perceived in this marketplace for the next period of time, the next three, five, ten years. And I think all of us felt like as, a, as an identifiable mark, what we had as a logo was not sufficient to last us the next five years. And so that was the, the real impetus to say, you know what, we, we want to do it, it's time to do it, and we can do it. Okay. And are there, were there any particular you know, mistakes that you would, uh, you know, mistakes to avoid the next time you do a rebrand or something like that? Any actionable tips? Yeah, I, I hope we don't have to do another rebrand, but if, <laughs> but I'm open to it, right? I mean, um, I mean, I've done, I did a lot of research about when companies did rebrands, and um, I think the, the 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 experience that we had was I, came, I literally came into the office one day and went up to the director of marketing and went up to my co-founder and said, "Hey, I think it's time we look at the logo. Here's an idea," and I gave him an idea, and. The director of marketing then and our designer took that idea and iterated on it. And for a while, iterated on lots of different, very similar tweaks to that one idea. And so I think the actionable, you know, our critique and what I learned from it is like, actually what I meant was, don't start with this idea. Start with the idea of coming up with a new logo. Mm. And get a hundred different crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. This being one of them, and then let's let's start winnowing them down. But instead, we started with one idea and iterated on that one thing. Mm. And then at some point, we're like, "No, this isn't working." And we went out broad again. Yeah. And then we started winnowing down. Got it. Actually, the the I, the starting point is to say, "Let's get a thousand great uh, or terrible ideas. Let's get a thousand ideas and then winnow those down from the start." Got it. Okay, so it's like you. you <laughs> It's, it's like a regular funnel, but you started with the reverse funnel first. Yeah, exactly. We started with one idea and pursued uh-huh. that for like a week. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it wasn't a bad idea, but it wasn't as good as it would have been if we started with 100 ideas and then winnowed down. Awesome. Okay. Perfect. That's helpful. Um, now, can you tell us about one big struggle you faced while growing Yesware? Sure. I mean... Uh, <laughs> I mean, ironically, um, one of the biggest struggles that we faced was building our sales team, uh, which is you know weird for a company that's building software for salespeople. Uh, um, in fact, it was so weird and and, and difficult that uh, the New York Times wrote a two-piece uh, case study on uh, you know Yesware's struggles to build the sales team, <laughs> um, and it's it's bad for me too because I'm supposed to be a sales guy, right? Uh, so I, I think I realized a couple things about it. One was that 
uh, most importantly, probably, I'm not a great sales manager. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm arguably a good salesperson, but there's a big difference between being a good salesperson and a good sales manager. And, um, and secondly, you know, you can have, I, I, I couldn't do both jobs, CEO and VP sales. And you can have amazing sales technology, which we have, but if you don't have the leadership, it's not going to work. So, um, you know, if, if you look at the small business section case studies in the time site, you can read all about the struggles that we had. But that was all, uh, you know, about um, a 12 to, nine to 12 months ago was sort of the, the big problematic period for our sales team. And um, it's written about it in excruciating detail on the, on the time site. Okay. Now, you know, I remember going to one of your talks when, you know, we met at a sales conference and, you know, you talked about your, your VP of sales and she kind of, you know, bringing on this star sales manager, it sounds like that's who it was, right? I mean, how yeah. did you go about finding this one person? Uh, it was, it was very difficult. Um, I mean, at the outset, I sort of knew we would need to hire a sales manager just to grow the team effectively. Um, my board was giving me a lot of crap about it, basically saying, like, you're never going to find somebody. It's always the hardest thing for a, a technical CEO to hire a head of engineering. It's always impossible for a sales CEO to hire a VP of sales because you think you know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and it's true. It actually took, uh, it took about seven months to find somebody. What we did is we hired an outside search firm, uh, a friend of mine named Mark Newell here in Boston, um, who's an amazing executive search guy. And he went through, you know, hundreds of resumes, and I had probably uh, 25 phone screens and four or five in-person interviews before we find Bridget. Okay, cool. And the, yeah, the person we hired is called Bridget Gleason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, from a basic skills point of view, I was looking for someone who had scaled a sales department from 50 to 50, sorry, five to 50 million dollars in revenue. Uh, she did that. Um, I'm looking for someone who is a manager, not a, a solo you know, producer, and she's run big teams. And I'm looking for someone who cared more about her team's success than her individual success. And um, she's absolutely that person. So she's been amazing. Okay, great. And you know, it sounds like you have a. You have, I mean, you know, you start with 100 resumes, you whittle down to 25, then you whittle down to four or five. I mean, you know, it sounds like you do have a, a you know, fairly sophisticated hiring process. So, what's one hiring tip you can share when it comes to hiring a star like Bridget? Um, I feel this way less and less as yes, where it gets traction. Um, I feel like we're just starting to get. The, to the point where people know about us and want to come work here. But, you know, for the first three or four years, it was very much um, we need to educate them about Yesware and sell them on coming to work here. And the temptation in that mode is to try to convince somebody. And I think the, the strength of our hiring process, and I really put this mostly on our VP of Engineering, Matthew Bellantoni, but the strength of our hiring process has been we don't actually try to do that and we don't try to sell you and instead we try to tell you authentically who we are and see if there's a genuine fit there and we've had plenty of people who were like amazing candidates who we wanted to hire but didn't take the job because uh, they were waiting to be convinced you know 
and uh, and that sort of wasn't happening. We were basically like, "This is us. This is who we are. Yeah. You know, take it or leave it." And uh, and I'm so glad we we passed on those people, or they passed on us, because um, in the end, you find people who actually genuinely connect with the culture and want to be here. And those kind of people are just they're much more fun to work with. Got it. Cool. So be who you are. Don't sell too hard. Don't sell. You know, tell them about your company in the, in the best light. And I say, I think Yesware is the best company to work for in Boston. And now that we have a San Francisco office, we, I don't know if I could say the best in San Francisco, but <laughs> one of the best in San Francisco. Uh, I, I'm very out about how much I love it here and how, much, how good I think it is. But I'm not going to try to convince you that, like, this is the place for you. Got it. And I think it really starts from the top down. I mean, meeting you and meeting your team at the same time. It's not like you know you guys are really pushy or aggressive. It's you guys. It's really you know consultative, right? And I, I think that's that. I think it goes all the way down to your to your hiring process. So I think it trickles up from you, trickles down from you, actually, I should say. Or up either way. I mean, as long as it's trickling, I'm good with it. <laughs> okay. Cool. And you know, one other thing I noticed is that um, you know you guys tend to go to a lot of conferences, and you guys are wearing you know these green shoes, and I, I guess. The green shoes is more like an add-on, but what do these conferences do for you guys? I don't know if I could. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Those. That really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, what do they do? Um, they uh, they work strangely well, I must say. Uh, it's a relatively new experiment for us. Um, it's. Uh, it's it's very interesting how having a single unifying element for everybody in the in the conference um, people recognize they 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 notice it um, and to not have it be a polo shirt or a t-shirt which I think most people have um, is a little bit quirky and so I think that helps with the you know uh, noticeability of it um, also it's just fun. It's fun for us, you know. Like it's just it's a it's a it's a little a click or a group or a signal. All these you know um, tribes and and groups have signals that they send outwardly to other people to let them know they're part of a tribe, and also inwardly to let each other know they're all part of the tribe. Uh, and you see that across all kinds of different human groups. Um, and so I think this is just one example of ours. Cool. And I think it's really unique. It definitely stuck with me. You know, I think it stands out more than anything else. Um, so one thing I noticed, I mean, you know, you're, you're doing this interview in, a, in an open area right now, which is something I don't usually see. Um, is there any story behind that? Do you not have an office? You know, what's the story behind that? I don't have an office. Okay. Um, I don't know if I can do this, but I'll, I mean, my office is this desk. Wow. There's Cashman as our co-founder. <laughs> Here's my view. Nice. So we have we have all open floor plan here. Um, we have a few. We have meeting rooms, and we have um, some a couple call rooms, four or five call rooms. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, we all uh, we're out standing or sitting in the open, um, which means that there's arguably less privacy. But that's both good and bad. Um, but I I don't feel like any of us should be sequestered away behind a door. Even if you have the open door policy, uh -huh. the tendency is to close the door or it feels like it's in a position to come in. Yeah. Um, so we just have open, open seating. Got it. Cool. So it's, it's kind of like the, the, the Zappos, you know, Zappos type of deal where Tony Shea and everyone, you know, they're out working in an open space, right? And I think it helps with culture. 
Uh, Andy Grove from Intel did it too. He had a cube mm-hmm. at Intel. Got it. Okay. Cool. Now, you know, was there was there any point in time where the company was on the brink of failure? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. Uh, uh, on the brink of failure. I don't think so. I mean, not this one. I've had. I've certainly been at companies that not only were on the brink, but actually went over the brink of failure. Um, but this one, uh, not thankfully yet. Um, um, we had, I think we had three weeks of cash in the bank when we closed our Series A. Wow, okay. Um, so it was close. <laughs> it's pretty close. <laughs> but it was not, not really the brink. Like I knew that if, you know, so it didn't deal didn't come through. I knew we could figure something else out. Okay, I like that. All right, so you know, wrapping it up here, we have three more questions. Um, what's one piece of advice you'd give to your twenty-five-year-old self? <laughs> uh, uh, gosh, I don't have any regrets about what I did when I was twenty-five. <laughs> so I think I—I I don't know. I think I would just say. Uh, I would I would say uh, try to treat other people better. Try to be more thoughtful about to other people. What's the story behind that? Well, I think just you know, um, I think I, as a twenty five year old, I was not as aware of or concerned with um, other people. I was more self absorbed, and um, and I don't you know I guess I don't regret it. I don't. I never did anything that was like awful, but um, I definitely made some mistakes and in, in my relationships with people. And I think if I had been more conscious about um, paying attention to the impact of my actions on other people's feelings, then I think uh, you know my net impact at that age would have been more positive. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, and what's one productivity hack you can share with the audience? So I'll give you an example. Um, yeah. You know, I like to leave my phone really far away in the morning, so I force to get up when the alarm goes off. Oh. <laughs> I would say uh, use Yesware. <laughs> you can download it for free at www.yesware.com. <laughs> and I can I can kind of you know provide a little testimonial there. I downloaded it when you guys first started four to five years ago, I think. Um, yeah. And I, I used it to kind of spy on who opened my emails at the time. And I was like, this free tool is awesome. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I, I think that's fair enough. Um, final question: What's one must-read book you'd recommend to the audience? Um, there's a lot of good books out there. The one that I'm uh, most I'm, I'm getting back into right now is called High Output Management. By Andy Grove, and um, I've read it before in business school in the late '90s. Um, but I'm, I'm rereading it for our upcoming manager retreat, and um, it's really an incredible, incredible book. It's very uh, hard dose in a way, but super helpful. Okay, would would you say that's one of the best business books you've read? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, other recent ones I've read that I really enjoyed. Um, Ben Horowitz's Hard Thing About Hard Things was a real joy to read and really helpful and inspiring. Uh, Brad Feld's book on um, fundraising is incredibly helpful for people who are, you know, wanting to go the VC or angel route. Um, That's startup deals, right? Yep, exactly. Okay. Um, and uh, and then there's a translation of The Art of War uh, by the Denma Group, 
D-E-N-M-A. Okay. Um, that is a fantastic uh, new approach to reading this sort of ancient guide to strategy, which I really enjoyed. Okay, perfect. No, all really good recommendations. The Art of War is the only one I haven't read there. So, you know, definitely need to check that out. And you are actually the ninth entrepreneur to recommend the hard thing about hard things. So yeah. everyone should go out there and buy it. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. You can't, cool. you can't go wrong with that book. No, you can't at all. And that's actually something I make all the people on my team read too. So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So, well, everyone, Matthew Bellows from Yes, where everyone make sure you go out and check it. It's free. Check it out. Um, and, you know, Matt, we definitely want to have you on the show some, sometime again soon. I think there's a lot to learn from you. So thanks for having or thanks for being on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's a real it's a real pleasure to be here. Thanks thanks for the opportunity. Maybe um, after we close our next round of financing, I'll come in and we can talk about financing. That would be perfect. Thanks so much. Bye. If you're interested in growing your revenues online and you're tired of ho hum agency work, then it might be time to check out Single Grain. Single Grain is a digital marketing agency ran by yours truly that has helped venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 companies grow their revenues online. Check out Single Grain at www.singlegrain.com grow to get a free resource on eight marketing campaigns that we've used to help companies grow their revenues online, including the one that drove over 1,500% return on investment. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to take action and continue growing.